are you willing to save yourself? Because homie, no one's coming to save you. And that was the most beautiful message for me to embody because that's when I started to take action. That's when I stopped to look at other people. I'm not saying don't ask for help, guys. Please don't take that message away, but it all starts with you. Welcome to the Wellness Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, and I'm excited to take you on a journey to reclaiming and reconnecting to your magic, the magic of your health, your wealth, and your soul's purpose. As a woman's wellness coach and business mentor, I've been coaching women for over 15 years, helping them rediscover their innate abilities to heal, to transform, and to manifest their deepest desires. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of inspiration and information, diving into the multifaceted approach of what it means to live to our fullest potential. Let's do this. This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back, everybody. Hope your day is off to an epic start. If you've been living under a rock, then you will not know who my guest is today, but I would be very surprised if you are not familiar with Lisa Bilyeu, who is the co-founder of Quest Nutrition. Now get this, Quest Nutrition grew 57,000% in its first three years. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. Perhaps you've tried Quest Protein Bars and you're familiar with the story of Lisa and Tom and how they grew this epic company. And I'm so thrilled to have her on the podcast today because I think it's so interesting that, of course, looking from the outside in, it's really easy to see this amazing woman, her husband, this luxury life, this epic business, lots of money, and to not really know how they actually got here. And I think it's easy to forget the hardships and the failures and the challenges and all the ups and downs that come with growing a business and a brand. So I'm really excited that in our episode today, that's what we get to dive into. We dive into Lisa's roots, growing up with a very traditional Greek background, you know, what that was like growing up in a culture where typically you don't marry outside of your culture and what happened when she met Tom and her family met Tom and they got married very young and those first initial years of trying to make ends meet and living, you know, in an apartment with a beat up car and kind of just the day to day of trying to make it work and make money. And initially they were really trying to get into the world of film. And of course, in Hollywood, that is really a challenge. And so they met a lot of challenges along the way. And then they pivoted and started heading into this direction of creating Quest Nutrition. And of course, it started out as this big vision and passion, and it grew well beyond what they ever thought. So Lisa Bilyeu, she co-founded Quest Nutrition and is the co-founder and president of Impact Theory Studios, a revolutionary digital first studio that produces wildly entertaining original content focusing on themes of empowerment. Throughout her career, Lisa has created a slate of content that has been viewed over half a billion times. And by overseeing all in-house content development at Impact Theory, she, along with her husband, have built a global audience of over 7.5 million. As host of her digital series, Women of Impact, 
Lisa spends her days having real, uncensored conversations with the most inspiring women. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Tom, their two fur babies, and she freaking loves her life. Of course, you can connect with her on Instagram at lisabillyou and head on over to lisabillyou.com. She does have a new book out called Radical Confidence. So head on over to radicalconfidence.com and you can grab the book there and a lot of free goodies that she has available as well. And of course, in our conversation today, we are also diving into radical confidence, what that really means and what we can really do to step more into ourselves and own our confidence, accept ourselves, be brave enough to make changes and to really use things like insecurity as a tool to drive you forward. It's a really powerful conversation. I'm really excited to dive in. So let's do it. Enjoy. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for being with me today. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, homie. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to dive in and learn more about you and hear all about your stories. I'm sure there's lots to share. (laughs) So where I would really love to kick things off today is taking it back to your roots. I know that you come from a very traditional Greek background. And so I'm really curious what it was like growing up. I know you had all these aspirations and these dreams, but I know that your father kind of saw things very differently. So what did that look like? Yeah, um, I, I love talking about this because it really does allow me to understand why I think the way that I think and then ask myself the question, do I actually believe in it? And I think that that's really an important place to start when people talk about their past. Um, For me, it's a great way to really understand who I am today. And so when I go back to how did I get stuck for eight years as a stay-at-home wife when I had massive dreams? I just want to point out being a stay-at-home wife can be amazing. If that's what your dream is, it wasn't my dream. And when I was there for eight years, I'm like, how did that happen? And the truth was, to your point, how did I grow up? My dad was a very, very traditional Greek Orthodox man. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the subliminal messages we get as young girls from from parents, from family members, from teachers, it starts to give you a good foundation of an understanding of why you may have certain beliefs. Now, that then allows me to go, okay, I have this belief. Does it actually align with me? Or was this a belief that my dad told me? Um, And so that's where I like to start because it is so important to understand that. So my dad, like I just said, growing up, very traditional Greek man, um, kept saying to me, when you're going to learn to cook, you need to learn how to clean. That was like the message that I got time and time again. My grandmother, she was very traditional. So to the point where you would ask her, if you even asked about sex or asked about a baby, she actually would say, it's a stork that would come and deliver it. <laughs> That's how the message I got growing up. Um, because there was no internet. Let's, let's be, let me just say that. So there For was sure. no, you couldn't just research and be like, hang on a minute. That's not what they're saying on Instagram. There was none of that. Right. You believed your parents. So then it was things like I was a kid and I would, you know, go bike riding and I would scrape my knee. And I remember so clearly my grandmother would come running over anytime we would cry and she would wipe our tears and she would say, it's okay. You'll be okay by the time you get married. (laughs) So you're going to be okay by the time you get married. Now just think about it. This small subliminal message 
time and time again of a little impressionable Lisa who is very insecure starts to believe mm-hmm. that the goal in life is to get married. Like yeah. no matter what happens, as long as you make it to marriage, you're fine. Right. Um, and so this started to really dictate how I would show up and the words I would use and the language I would use and the conversations I would have about what my future looked like. And then let's be honest, when you start to use certain language, start to think a certain way, it dictates how you act. And so me now as an entrepreneur who looks back and say, how the hell did I get stuck for eight years? I actually give myself tremendous grace. And I say it it was because of the way you were brought up. Everyone had tremendous intentions. My grandmother, that's all she knew. All she knew was to have a safe um, place to live, to be secure. You get married because she learned back in the day in Cyprus when the Turks invaded and, you know, the whole thing. She learned her husband dies. She had nothing. It was her and her two kids. So I never blame anyone. I never look at my past or my history and say it was their fault. But I do look and say, this is where it stemmed from. Now that I know, does it serve me? Now that I know what I'm trying to get to, now that I know what life I want, does this belief system help me get to that? Yes or no. And if the answer is no, I try to pivot and say, what belief system would actually get me to achieve this goal that is my passion, is my mission? And when I realized that not having um, belief in myself, thinking that my worth was going to be looking after my husband, once I started to challenge that notion, I started to think about what life could be like. And that idea of what can life be like, like just dream for a second, opened up so many doors instead of me thinking through this one little narrow view of this is what I was told that I would be and this is what I am. Amazing. I love that. I love that so much. So we're definitely going to get to some of these bigger stories and all the things that you've created and the success that you've had. But I'm so curious to know what your family thought of your relationship with Tom, especially that you guys got <laughs> married so young. Yeah. Did you ever see my ba- my big fat Greek wedding? Yes. <laughs> okay. So that movie did so well, I think, because everyone can relate to especially if you're in a cultural family that is very traditional right everyone can relate you don't have to be greek to understand the pressures of family you don't have to be greek to understand what it's like to want to people please and to go against the grain when everyone else doesn't understand your decision making and so with my husband that movie came out the same year we got married and so we didn't watch the movie because it was literally the same summer and it was so um, eye-opening to see that sometimes or a lot of times we think we're alone. We think that we've this is a problem that, oh my God, why me? Right. And then you realize, oh no, hundreds of millions of people have the same problem, especially when it comes to if you were brought up in a culture that doesn't divert outside the culture, you better believe if you decide that you're going to marry someone that isn't Greek Orthodox, that's going to rattle, rustle some feathers. Right. And so at the time, I thought my dad's pushback when I said, I really want to marry Tom, actually my husband secretly went to my dad and asked for his blessing to marry me because um, I'm quite traditional like that. Yeah. And I like it. My dad's traditional. Anyway, so he goes to my dad and my dad says, no. <laughs> my dad literally to his face says, how do you plan to support her? Because remember, my dad's very 
traditional. So he doesn't think that I can support myself. My dad's like, how are you going to support her? Right. And at the time, Tom was a, you know, had dreams of making movies just like I did. And he had like these big lofty dreams and he didn't have a job in the movie making industry. So my dad's like, you're just an artist that's, you know, who's got these big lofty dreams, but how are you going to have a roof, keep a roof over my uh, daughter's head? Right. And at the time, it was dreams, right? It was the the ambition. It was one day we're going to. And as a parent, I totally understand now in hindsight why he was like, there's no guarantees to succeed. And as you get older, you realize there's no guarantees to succeed. Totally. Um, but so that was why he pushed back. And so at the time when my dad then said to me, don't rush into it. You don't know anything about him. You guys come from different cultures. Mm-hmm. I heard I was not capable of having a successful relationship with him. That's what I heard right. my dad say. So I took that personally. I pushed back. I broke down. I told my husband, like, I want to just elope. Like, it became one of these, like, very big things because I was really torn. I love my dad more than life itself. Like, I really do. And mm-hmm. yet at the same time, whose life am I living? My dad's on my own. Totally. And so once I realized I have to live my own life, but I love my dad so much. It was so hard. And I think that that's a struggle that a lot of people have where it's like, you have this dream, you have this desire. It's not like I knew whether actually my relationship was going to work. Right. And so the worry of what if it doesn't, then everyone's going to say, I'm told you so. Right. And then you get in your own head and then you don't take the chance because you're so worried of that failure. I, I was in, I was really torn in these moments because I love my dad and I'm daddy's little girl. And I just own that. And I Mm -hmm. love it but I knew I couldn't live my life for him. So I had to start processing, how am I going to marry the love of my life, knowing that success isn't guaranteed and yet also show my dad the grace and not, I didn't want to push him out of my life. I love my dad. And so how do I still allow that relationship to blossom and grow while I still follow my dreams? And so that was really difficult. And the first step was giving somebody total understanding of where they come from, period. Right. dad doesn't come from the same world I do. He just doesn't. So apart from it just being a generational thing, my dad came from a tiny village in Cyprus where his toilet was a hole in the floor. Wow. My dad. So now education wasn't available in the village. It just, so it wasn't. So if anybody wanted to get an education, you had to leave the village. And now there was no contraception. So no woman ever went to get an education because Everyone just basically, you get married at the age of 18. And then the first thing you do is you get pregnant. So they weren't sending women to get an education. And so even just understanding things like that and understanding why my dad pushed back, he didn't want me to study filmmaking. And he wanted, you know, like all of the, the conflict and the push that me and my dad had between us was the mindset that he came from. It was the background he came from. Of course. And so he didn't know anyone that had ever in our family marry outside the Greek Orthodox religion. Mm-hmm. So it's just like his go-to response was, well, it can't work. And so the power of that, the power of stepping in someone's shoes and saying, okay, what do I know about my dad? Fundamentally, what do I know about him? I've been alive at the time I was 21. I've been alive for 21 years. So let's face it, everyone has a reputation with you if you've known them for 21 years. Yeah. And so the reputation that my dad had with me was he loves me more than life itself. All right, now, if you know that, if he loves me more than life itself, why the hell would it be so negative? Right. Because he cares and he's trying to protect me. Of course. All right. Now, I can accept that without taking his opinion. 
opinion as fact. Mm-hmm. And so now this is how I literally, and I talk about it in my book, Radical Confidence, how I pull apart how I feel about the message, right? I didn't like my dad saying that, mm-hmm. but how do I continuously move towards my dream, the life I want? How do I continuously do that while showing utter respect and creating boundaries with my family, with the people that I love, so that I don't allow them to dictate what my future looks like? And so I gave myself, my dad, the grace to listen to him. And then I just set the boundary. And the boundary was, thank you, dad. I've heard you. I respect you. I appreciate your point of view. And I'm still going to marry in this said, I'm still going to marry Tom. Mm-hmm. And so then after that, it was up to him to decide how he was going to respond to it. But sure. now it was out of my hands. I made my declaration. I stood in my truth and I set my boundary. That's powerful. That's a pretty profound conversation to have with yourself at 21 years old. So I really acknowledge you for being able to do that because not a lot of people can. Thank you. And then just to give everybody the kind of the, maybe the the bookend is I just celebrated my 20 year wedding anniversary with my husband. And now every time I talk to my dad, the very first thing out of his mouth is, where's Tom? So um, (laughs) (laughs) it just become, but that's not to even say, what if I didn't, you know, hit my 20 year, what if we got divorced 10 years ago? I want people to also understand the power of making that decision and being confident in knowing that the success isn't guaranteed and that isn't a reason to not go after it. If I ended up divorcing Tom, I would have just taken away a learning lesson and said, at least I tried. I don't want, I've just made a declaration. I don't want to be on my deathbed and have regrets. Mm -hmm. And if nature, people don't want to think like this, but I'm just a realist. If nature takes its course and everything goes according to plan, my dad dies before me. Mm-hmm. And so again, like I don't want that, but I'm just realistic. And, you know, I then don't want to find myself in my 50s after my parents have passed. And now I'm like, I gave up that one guy that I thought could be my future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's beautiful about that story is that you essentially were liberating yourself. And through that, you essentially got to liberate your father too. And there was so much Mm. growth that I'm sure he got to go through and learnings too through that process, right? Yes. I don't know if he, he doesn't necessarily have a growth mindset like I do. So I think for him, he's such a, he was kind of like the proof is in the pudding. And so it very much became the, after the first five years wedding, he was like, okay, (laughs) right. You know, and But it wasn't something that I felt I had to prove to him. And that's the important distinction because I think that isn't a healthy way to live where you feel like you have to keep showing up every day to prove to somebody else your value, your worth, and what you're trying to achieve. And so that's super important um, to mention. But my dad, you know, there was no guarantee. And the truth is, is that even if there wasn't, I I would have been glad that I made the decision for myself. Of course. Absolutely. So did you meet Tom? Was it in New York? Was he your teacher? So I met him at the New York Film Academy, but it was in Los Angeles. But yes, got it's it. totally frowned upon in these days. I was like, <laughs> babe, thank God it was 22 years ago because it was a different world back then. Totally. But yeah, like I totally thought he would be a summer fling. He thought I would be a fling because I had to legally go back to England. And so there was no pressure. And what's interesting about the no pressure is you end up not putting on airs and graces. You end up just showing up and kind of, you know, on that first day, I had never met anybody that was so Trans, wasn't trying to win me, right? Like, you know, when right. you can feel the guys try or the person, whoever you're dating is trying to put on 
on a certain face and try and either get a second date, get you into bed, let's face it, you know, like yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, he wasn't trying to do that. And it caught me so off guard. And what I realized was to the same of how I felt, he was like, you were legally obligated to leave the country because of your visa. So he was like, I wasn't going to try and like, it wasn't a long term relationship thing. So he wasn't trying to like pretend to be something he wasn't. And in the act of not pretending to be someone he wasn't was exactly what made me fall in love with him. Because I was just like, I've never been, I've never had an uh, interaction with somebody like this who is very comfortable in their own skin and very curious. That was a big thing. So one of his curiosities was like, oh, so you're Greek Orthodox. Why do you believe in God? And that was the first moment where I was like, because my dad told me to. Right. (laughs) So going back to what I said about the belief system, I didn't even realize I had a belief system on it. And I never questioned why, because I'd never been put in a situation where anybody had either questioned me or asked me the question, you know, so it was, um, so that was a very interesting time. And again, kind of that goes back to if you write on paper, what you think a partner should be, Mm -hmm. Tom and I never would have dated ever. (laughs) Right. So it is amazing how I think there's, we left each other open these spaces accidentally of surprising of, I didn't realize I was attracted to that. But oh my God, like he held the car door open for me. Mm-hmm. Like for this day and age, I, you know, not sure how your audience feels about that, but I had never met a guy that held a car door open for me. And I'd seen it in movies. And then I go on a date with him and he opens the car door. And I was like, oh my God, chivalry's alive. I and it's not it. that I can't open my arc, my own car door. And I think that that's what an interesting conversation is happening in today's day and age between men and women. About, yes. you know, you know, being an independent woman. Um, and I'm just very honest. I'm like, I'm a freaking badass woman that can hold my own and down. I can blow through a door with, you know, like if I really had to, right, I would yes. kick that door down. <laughs> totally. But you better believe I don't feel like I have to. Yeah. And I loved that he was polite mm-hmm. and opened the car door for me. And that was one of those things I never would have thought I wanted in a partner. And so having these opportunities where it's like, it's a surprise and delight where you don't necessarily know what you're going to get was, I think what allowed me and Tom to really bond because we started our relationship from day one with honesty, transparency. I mean, on the first day he was like, yeah, I watch porn. And I'm like, all right then you just told me that on our first day in a restaurant out loud, you know? And, but I just admired it because I was like, oh, thank God, someone is actually just being honest. Honest, like, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that definitely was in looking back now when people ask me about relationship tips and things like that, it really does stem from selection matters. Mm-hmm. Selection matters. And that doesn't mean that who you are today, do you completely, you know, coexist together? It's like Tom and I's. Um, he listened to rock music. I listened to R and B. Like we were completely different on certain on certain things. Oh, but our um, our base foundation base foundation of how we saw life that who you are today doesn't dictate the person you can become. We were so aligned. So we've been able to grow together, change, adapt. Um, learn. Like I started off, I was the woman that wanted four children, and I told him when he married me, I want four kids. And now you see me, you know being married for 20 years and being the person that turned around to my husband 10 years ago and decided I didn't want any children. Right. Now, if he married me because he wanted children, mm-hmm. then we would have divorced. But he married me and I married him to accept each 
other and to want the other person to win and to know the whole game of life is to experiment, try, fall on your floor, get back up and learn and grow. And so if we respect that within each other, any changes, any hobbies, any, um, you know, evolution that we go through, whether it's, you know, I'm a stay at home wife. And then I went into helping him build Quest Nutrition. And then I helped him, you know, we build Impact Theory. And now I'm in front of the camera. And, you know, I've had my own evolution. So who do you choose? Do they want you to do well, no matter what that looks like? Right. Select matters and so kind of going back to that first question I had no idea who I was dating on that first date but there were certain elements that were so in line with who I was from a foundation level that we've been able to navigate ups downs hurdles challenges over the time that we've had together that's amazing I love that so much and so while you guys obviously fell in love now you've been married for 20 years and I know that in your book you talk about the purgatory of mundane. And, you know, when you were first together, those eight years of you being at home and cooking and cleaning and kind of doing that role while Tom's out working. And, you know, you get to this point where you're like, I need the next thing. Like, this is no longer what I want. And I'm so curious for you to kind of talk us through like, how did you get through that time? First of all, how did you get through those eight years? And then how did you make that transition into that next phase into wanting something more and bigger? Yeah, I love this question so much because it's interesting how much I didn't realize what I was doing until I was out of it. Mm. And so what I'm trying to do now in the, my book, that very specific chapter where I talk about purgatory of the mundane is to try and use language that's going to allow Tell someone to recognize that they're in purgatory of the Monday in year one and not wait till year eight to mm. then be slapped awake, metaphorically, of course. Totally. Um, <laughs> I'm very metaphorical. I will say things that are all metaphorical people. <laughs> um, so, um, so the question is, are you living a life that makes you happy? Now, look, happy mm. is transient. I don't think you can be happy all the time. The right. beauty of happiness is that it ebbs and flows. If you're always happy, then that becomes your baseline. And now what are you chasing? So what I will use a better word, fulfillment. Do you feel fulfilled in what you do every single day? Are you doing it for the greater good of someone else or something else? Right. These are questions that I put in the book that you can ask yourself to start to recognize if you're in a pattern. Because here's the problem. So many of us or so many people that I know that have done amazing, incredible things that have changed their lives around, it's because they've hit rock bottom. Right. They've had something terrible happen to them and they turn around and they think, well, I've got nothing else to lose. For sure. And so I've got nothing else to lose. I may as well go after this one thing that I've always wanted to do because if it fails well, I can't feel worse about myself than I already do. That's the catalyst. But what about the people like myself that is in purgatory the Monday? When my, my life is just mundane enough. I didn't hit rock bottom. I had a roof over my head. I had a wonderful husband that loved me. Mm-hmm. And so every day it became this monotonous actions where in my head, I was convincing myself that this is the sacrifice I needed to make. Mm-hmm. And so what are the words you're using to yourself? Are you doing it for someone else? Are you doing it as a sacrifice? Are you saying to yourself, it's only for a year, right? These are all words that you may be telling yourself that are massive red flags, guys, that you're in purgatory of the mundane. Yeah. Now, why do people stay there? Because I think a big part of it is people 
people say, I'll do this, I'll do X, Y, and Z, I'll change, I'll, you know, speak up, I'll go after that thing. When? Right. When I have the time, when I have the money, when I have the confidence. And so I want people listening right now to now write down what that when is they're waiting for. And now I'm going to ask a follow-up question. What if that when never came? So true. What would you do today? Because if someone's sitting there going, you know what? I've always wanted to be the most amazing pianist. I don't know why I keep coming back to a pianist as my example. <laughs> I think maybe Secret Life, I want to be a pianist. But like, it's such a beautiful instrument. But like, imagine that's what you're saying you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you, oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought on the pianist thing. <laughs> you are in the purgatory of mundane when you're waiting when oh, thank you when, yes, thank yeah. you my <laughs> so now let's say I want to be the best pianist in the world but you know what I need to wait for when I have enough time because I've got my kids and I don't have the time to practice when I have enough money because I don't have enough money right now to buy a piano what if you didn't ever have enough money what if you didn't ever have enough time are you okay with never being a good pianist like are you okay with that and if you are then great But if you're like, actually, no, now at least you recognize, and this is just the first step. Now, the whole idea of this is to just recognize you're not living the life you want. That's the first step. Because we all fear asking ourselves very hard questions like, am I happy? Am I doing what I want? Is this exciting? Now, why are we so reluctant to ask those questions? Think Mm -hmm. about the knock-on effect. And in my book, the chapter is um, open a can of worms and embrace the (laughs) ick. (laughs) <laughs> the can of worms is the hard questions. Yeah. And embracing the ick means then you have to deal with all the things that come along with a hard question. So for instance, the simple, easy one I think everybody will get is, am I happy in this relationship? Now, right. if you're married and you ask yourself that question, what if the answer is no? If the answer is yes, amazing, right? Now, now you can just move on. Of course. But if the answer is no, now you have to ask yourself, am I willing to put in the time and effort to make it work? Are they willing? to put in the time and effort to make it work? Are they willing to go to therapy? What do we? What if we can't agree? Does this mean we have to get divorced? Who gets the house? Who gets the kids at Christmas? Will I die alone? Like there's so many questions that will come with this one question yeah. of am I happy? So you can understand, like no, no judgment. I actually totally understand why as humans, when we start to think about all the knock-on effect, that we just say, ah, screw it. I'm just going to stay married. Right. I get it. Yeah. But is that a life? that will actually lead you to full-time fulfillment and happiness. No. Right. Because you're settling. You're in a relationship that doesn't actually fill you up. And so so asking yourself, figuring out if you're in purgatory or the mundane is number one, figuring out what would happen, like how to break that thought pattern. And then the third thing to your question that is really important. Did you ever see the movie Up? The, the cartoon animation. No, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, okay. I can so, picture him in the balloon, I think. Or yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's a scene where there's a dog and the dog every so often will talk to its owner. It'll be like really present. All of a sudden a squirrel will come and it'll go squirrel. And immediately it gets distracted, right? right? We all have squirrels in our lives that become distractions. Now, here's the thing about distractions. Sometimes we need them to self-soothe, right? I used, because I wasn't happy, I kept doing the same thing. I was cooking, cleaning for my husband because it started from my belief system, Mm -hmm. right? I'm now in this. 
I don't hit rock bottom. So I find myself in purgatory of the mundane. I'm not making a change because I feel like I need the confidence to tell my husband that. So I keep swallowing it, like telling myself it's okay, it's okay. And then the last piece is I'm using distractions as a way to not address the hard questions. Right. And so, guys, we can convince ourselves that we're busy. We can convince ourselves all the reasons why we may not have the time or energy to actually address the question of are we happy. But let's actually look at those things that we're doing. And then you need to ask yourself, is it something you need to do or is it a distraction to self-soothe? Now, I'll give you an example of my distraction that I was doing to self-soothe. Every day I was waking up, I was completely bored out of my nut. I did not want to cook, didn't want to clean. That was not my dream. I had big audacious dreams to be in movies. And here I was, I I felt like I blinked. And here I was at home for seven, eight years taking care of my husband. And the question was, how on earth did I really get here? And it never is a blink. It's decisions that you make slowly over time. Right. So I don't have the confidence to speak up. I don't tell my husband. And every day I wake up totally bored. Now, when you're bored, it allows your mind to ask questions. So what do we do to self-soothe, to protect ourselves as we fill our day up? Keep busy. Keep so busy. Keep being distracted so that you never have a moment alone with yourself to listen to the whisper that your mind is trying to tell you. Totally. And my distractions were very unhealthy. My distractions end up being, I had a very unhealthy relationship with food growing up. Finding my husband allowed me to feel very secure with myself. So my um, unhealthy relationship with food really did take a side, you know, like was put aside and I was really just enjoying life. Then what ended up happening, my husband goes back to work. I end up being a stay-at-home wife. I hate my life. I am miserable. I am desperately looking for distractions that I don't ever have to ask myself the question of, am I happy? And so what ended up happening was my bad habit and my bad relationship with food ended up surfacing again. And I became obsessed with calorie counting, running on a treadmill, and it filled my days. And that's the thing. It filled my days. And so I kept saying, like, if you had met me back then, I was like, oh my God, I'm so busy. I've got to go to the gym. I've got this cooking to do, right? My, my husband was bulk eating. I was bulk eating. So right. I, I could have told you and made my day sound amazing. But yeah. of course, the reason was, is that I had to do that. It was a protection mechanism so that I wouldn't feel the pain of being sad and feeling alone and feeling lost. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's powerful. It really is. You've probably heard me rave about the Element electrolytes and you've seen me share them all over social media and for good reason. One of the reasons I love this brand compared to other electrolyte brands is that it is zero sugar and there is no artificial sweeteners, junky fillers, or artificial coloring that's found like you would find in other sports drinks. Many sports drinks on the market have a ton of fillers and binders and have a lot of sugar, but you're not going to find that in Element Electrolytes. They have so many amazing flavors. I really love the chocolate salt, currently loving the grapefruit for summertime, and the watermelon is also one of my top flavors. They have so many amazing ones to choose from, and right now you can get a free sample pack with any purchase. This is a great way to test out all their other flavors, and then you can head back there and get your favorites. Head on over to drinkelement.com forward slash wellnesswitch, and with any purchase, you will get a free sample pack of all the Element Electrolyte flavors. 
Again, that URL is drinklmnt.com forward slash wellness switch to get your free sample pack with any purchase. You may not realize this, but the air inside your home could be up to 500 times more polluted than outdoor air. And the primary contributor to this can be our cleaning products and other products that you're using around your house. Now, sometimes we don't realize the impact that these chemicals really have on our health and our hormones until we finally remove them from our homes. So it's all about getting your hands and some toxin-free cleaners. I am all about Branch Basics. They are fragrance-free, plant and mineral-based, free of harmful preservatives. They're biodegradable, non-GMO, pet-friendly, baby-safe. And if you have allergies or asthma or you find that you get headaches from cleaning products, Branch Basics is where it's at because they're completely fragrance-free. Now, by all means, you can always add some essential oils to them and you can even clean your produce with them. Uh, There's so many things you can do with them. I highly recommend getting started with their starter kit and you can save 15% off with the coupon code wellnesswitch. Head on over to branchbasics.com forward slash wellnesswitch and take a look around, check out all their amazing products. I got started with their starter kit and in that kit, you're going to receive a full bottle of concentrate, which makes all these refills for your all-purpose cleaner, your streak-free, your bathroom cleaner, your hand wash, even 64 loads of laundry. So everything that you need is in that kit to get started to having a toxin-free, super clean and healthy home. Again, the coupon code is wellnesswitch to save 15% off at branchbasics.com forward slash wellnesswitch. I really acknowledge you for number one, being so honest with yourself about it. And being open about it because through sharing our stories, it's how we can learn about ourselves and it's how we can start to heal and we can start to do this work for ourselves. So I think it's really powerful for you to share that. Thank you. Yeah, it was one of those, there's no point in BSing, right? That won't help anybody. <laughs> the truth is I totally <laughs> got stuck there for eight years. And I, I and even in writing my book, I was like, what are the things, what would have woken me up? What would have been that slap in the face that would have made me pay attention that this is my life. I get to choose how I show up every day. And how do I save eight years of someone else's life? Because that's the sort of thing you can never get back. Like, I don't mind failing. I don't mind learning from it. I don't mind, you know, messing up and going, cool. And now I'm more powerful for it. But never, ever would I ever wish somebody to just live in purgatory the mundane so that's so important to me and then actually sorry if there's one more thing you don't mind if I just quickly share it's the gratitude piece right so the self-soothing of gratitude that where you find yourself in a situation maybe something's not going well you know over COVID how many of us use gratitude as a way to self-soothe and it was very powerful right it's like oh my god I'm stuck in quarantine but at least I have a husband that loves me right oh my god I got fired from my job but I'm actually really grateful because now I get to spend more time with my kids, right? We all use gratitude. It's very powerful. Yes. The problem that I had was I used gratitude to the the point where it became detrimental to my growth. So in those first few years, I was waking up. I was like, oh my God, but at least you're in LA. Hey, you know, like Lisa, you may be bored, but oh my God, be grateful. You have a husband that loves you. You know, so every time that whisper that I was saying that you're trying to ignore starts to try and creep in again, I would use the gratitude to smother it, right? It's like, 
well, but at least you're not happy. But I've got a husband that loves me. So you're not right. happy. But I've got a roof over my head. Yes. Now, it's amazing. It can absolutely make you feel better about yourself. The problem is, after year five, year six, year seven, it started to be now the voice that was keeping me where I was. Where now, when I was saying I'm not happy, it was like, but how ungratefully you. You've got a husband that loves you. How ungratefully you. You've got a roof over your head. And I started to shame myself mm. and guilt myself into the idea that I wanted more. And it all came through the disguise of gratitude. Right. And what I realized was the truth is, guys, you can, who the hell says that you cannot be head over heels with your, like in love with your life in all areas? Like, why do we go, well, hang on a minute. If I've got a great relationship, then I can't ask for more in my business. Or if I've got a great business, then I can't ask for a bigger house. Or if I've got a big house, I can't ask for love. It's like, we somehow have gotten it into our heads that that becomes now selfish. That becomes greedy. Right. And it's like, no, you guys, you can have everything. You absolutely have the right to have a wonderful relationship and a career that you love. Mm -hmm. A family that makes your heart sing and have a hobby you love. And you're absolutely able to show up on a weekly basis and spend time with your family and love them. And then you absolutely have the right to turn around and carve out time for yourself, for your hobby. And okay. don't let anyone else tell you different. And that was the conclusion I came to. But it took me eight freaking years to get there. <laughs> yep. But the important thing is you got there, which yeah. is powerful. And then, of course, somewhere along this way, Quest comes along. <laughs> and I would love to know, like, the initial conversations around starting Quest, like, was it just like, hey, I want to create a protein bar? Like, <laughs> what did that? I want to like be the fly on the wall in yeah. that room when those conversations are happening. What did that look like? So it's a really like like any like situation. It's never an easy straight line, but I'll try and make it as succinct as I possibly can. So for those eight years, the reason why I was a stay-at-home wife for the eight those eight years is originally the very first year, me and my husband wanted to make movies. Right. We had both our backgrounds with movie making. We both got a job in on movie sets and we both walked away hating it. I was completely disrespected. I had an actor throw a matchbox at me. I had a producer oh, yell at me because I was taking photos of the star, but I was the set photographer. <laughs> and I had, so let me, let's just, I was a set photographer and I got yelled at for taking photos of the star because they didn't like the fact that I was taking photos of them. So anyway, so cut to my, my, my poor little heart crushes, right? I'm like, I've, I've dreamt about being in Hollywood my entire life. Right. I get married. We move to America. I have this job on a movie set. I think the dreams come true and I hate it. And my heart is crushed. My husband has an equally bad experience on the movie set. And so we sat down and we said, all right, what life do we want? We thought it was movie making, but it doesn't feel like it is. So my husband turned around and said, actually, if we want to control the arts, we need to control the resources, which means, babe, we need to go out and make enough money that we can fund our own films. All right. Sounds easy. <laughs> should be too hard. Totally. Oh, let's do that. And this is, uh, uh, this is uh, 20, uh, what year was it? 20, 2002? Something like that. Anyway, so we're like, oh, yeah, we didn't have the word entrepreneurship or startup. That didn't exist back then. Right. So we're just like, okay, how do we make enough money to go and do this and make our own movies? 
my husband meets these two incredible um, financially secure entrepreneurs. They want basically to hire my husband to write a script for them. So they're like, look, come with us. We'll teach you everything about business. You write a script. We'll build our business. We'll make enough money. And then we'll go and make movies together. Seemed like a dream come true. (laughs) Now, how I became the stay-at-home wife is my husband and I played a game. And it's a game that we call No Bullshit, What Would It Take? <laughs> now, this game is you set, you say what your goal is. I want to be the best pianist. I want to um, make movies. Cool. No bullshit. What would it actually take to make to earn enough money to make movies? So that's the game we played. Okay. This means that my husband, if he's going to go out and make money, he has to be solely focused on making money. Anything else will be a distraction. Okay. How do we do that? No bullshit. What does that actually look like? So we started to do research and we found an article with Steve Jobs where he explained at the time um, that he only ever wore black t-shirts, black polo neck and jeans. Right, right. Never spent a second of his time or energy making any decisions that didn't matter. Because as humans, we only have a certain amount of brain capacity that can allow us to make decisions with utter clarity in one day. Totally. All right. Now saying that, going, okay, if my husband is going to go all in on business and make enough money, that means he cannot waste an ounce of time or energy on anything else that's decision-making. So we decided, babe, as a team, I'll make all other decisions. I'll decide what you're going to wear. I'll decide what you're going to eat. I'll cook. I'll clean. I'll do pay the bills. I'll figure out where we're going to live. I'll figure out everything else. You are going to focus on business. Do we agree? Yes. So that was something I could get behind. So the first year, I was like, it's for the greater good, which is why I started there. So it was the greater good. It was the greater (laughs) good. Yep. And so one year led to two years, led to three years. What a surprise. It wasn't easy to make money. Four years led to five years. (laughs) And it became the pattern. And this is where actually where we started from all comes together. Because I said originally, it's just going to be for a year. But my belief system that I'd carried with me my entire life starts to creep in as fact. And so that one year where I'm telling myself, I'm just supporting my, or we're in it together and we're making enough money so we can make movies by year two, by year three, that voice in my head changed. And that notion now became, I'm a good supportive wife. And so every time my husband came home after year four, well, he's with these two business guys after year five, he would just keep coming home. like, we just need another year and a half. We just needed a year and a half. Now, let's face it, as you can imagine, chasing money doesn't bring fulfillment. It doesn't bring happiness. So over those eight years, not only was I getting more and more unhappy, my husband was too. Where it gets to the point, it started to interfere with our relationship. And that was the one thing I always said, I will support your ambition, babe. I know the man I married. I will always support it up until the point it becomes detrimental to our relationship. Sure. And so after like year seven, it became detrimental to our relationship because he was hating life. So we ended up being that couple where he was coming home every day and he was like, don't talk to me about my job. And so I joke, hashtag joke, no joke, like that it became my own personal fight club where it was like the first rule of the Binyu household was don't ask him about his day. The second rule of the Binyu household is don't ask him about his day. Now, when you've become, when that's become a rule in your household with your partner, something's going very wrong. Totally. And so what I ended up doing is I just said to him, I told you I would always support your ambition, but now it's getting in the way. We need to pivot. Do you agree? And he said, you're right. I am profoundly unhappy. You are profoundly unhappy. Money doesn't buy happiness. So We've just spent the last eight years building a tech company with these business partners. But if we're not willing to cross the finish line, 
then we have no right in asking for shares or asking for any payout. And we just sat there before we went to them and we said, do we agree with this? Who do we want to be? We said, yes, we are no longer looking to cross that finish line. I'm not willing to sell my soul anymore. Not for another, you know, two years. I'm just not willing to do it. So that long story short, my husband goes in, he tells his business partners he's going to quit. They admit they're profoundly unhappy too. Mm. And so they sat down and said, what would we do every day and feel good about it, even if we failed? So because I'm going to keep saying success is not guaranteed, guys, but the struggle damn well is. (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) What are you going to do every day where you don't mind facing that struggle, even knowing when success may not be guaranteed? What are you willing to wake up for and fight for? And so I think it's Mother Teresa that says no one's willing to fight for the masses, but everyone's willing to fight for the one. Mm -hmm. So who is that person you can attach yourself to that when you feel bad about yourself, when you face challenges, when you face backlash, when you face all the problems that you're going to have in building any company, who is that person you're going to go back to and remind yourself of why you get out of bed every morning? And so for my husband, very specifically, he grew up in a morbidly obese family and he saw his mum and sister and he, he was actually, he'd come to terms with the fact that they were going to die very early. Right. And in that moment, he was like, what if they didn't have to? What if, and because we worked out, both of us, and I was always bulk cooking, so I was kind of making handmade protein bars at home. They just couldn't, weren't shelf stable. His business partner's wives were making, you know, protein bars at home. And so they loved um, fitness for their own reasons. But for me and Tom, it started to become very personal because we said, we've just been chasing money for eight years. It hasn't brought us happiness. What are we going to do that we can both feel good about, that we both can commit our lives to, that we can wake up every day feeling good about? Yes. And so for him, it was his family. My mom, I grew up with a mom who was borderline anorexic. So I that was one of the reasons why I had such a bad relationship with food. Right. So I started to obviously then very much be able to tie myself to wanting to help people in the fitness space. Mm-hmm. And so that was how we ended up coming up with a protein bar that all the business partners, all the wives, we were all making them at home. They weren't shelf stable. And so it's like, what is the problem that we will personally have, right? If you, if you know you would buy it, at least you know you've got your first customer. So <laughs> what was that? And then what is your why? Those are going to be imperative things. And because Tom and I locked our why, we knew we could keep showing up every day. And so at that moment where we all pivoted and we said, cool, we've now all committed to building a protein bar company. And we said, no bullshit. What would that look like? So we play the game again. And the truth was what it looked like was I would have to help out because we couldn't afford anything. And we would have to put our house up as collateral. And so in that moment when my husband was like, so babe, we're we're about to put the house up. You know, this is what it will take. I realized, obviously, so A, I realized that me and my husband value different things, no judgment, not one is right and not one is wrong. Mostly men value, um, uh, sorry, women value creating a nest. So that's the house, right? That's that's having a safety net, the security of a house. And men care about nest egg. Mm. So- When my husband says this, I freak out. I'm like, this is my house. And he didn't understand why I was freaking out. It was because I, now that I understand, he's coming it from a nest egg point. I'm coming from a nest. And so in that moment of conflicting, you know, battling, um, well, do we actually do this? I realized I played the, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And the truth 
it is, I can get another house. I can't get another husband. I can't get another Tom. And so that was the decision that we made of why then we, we put up the house for collateral, why I was very comfortable in doing it. I knew who I married again, and I'm just going to keep repeating, know who that person is. So when I knew he was ambitious and I would never ask him to not be ambitious because that's who I fell in love with. So when we had this massive, like come to Jesus moment of like, we're about to up, <laughs> like up, literally up all our lives. Yeah. We were cutting his salary to a third. We had to sell a car. So this is the no bullshit. What would it actually take to now do and build a business predicated on passion? The results were we had to put our house up as collateral. We had to give up one of our cars. Um, and the other car that we had was the one with a hole in the exhaust. Like if you go over 60 miles an hour, the steering wheel would shake. Um, we decided that I would help out. I would dedicate now my time to basically being the gopher because those the guys were trying to sell the other business that they had tried to build right and so that was the game and that was the results that we came to oh this is what it's going to take and so day one I start helping now at this point because it's year eight I have the identity of being an amazing supportive wife yeah and so as the identity of the amazing supportive wife I And I know I'm needed because we played the no bullshit. What would it take? So I'm the only one that's available. And so now every day I'm shipping bars from my living room floor. I'm walking to the post office. I'm figuring out how to measure ingredients on my home scale. I'm trying to figure out what box I ship it in. Like it was like the most like ridiculous, like, you know, startup stuff that you have to figure out. And I'm just like, oh, you you can't just slap a stamp on this. Oh, okay. I have to wait. I have to print my own labels. Like I figured it's all out. And so in that process of going from, I'm supporting my husband to help build this company, I realized what I was made of. That was the turning moment for me. For sure. That was the moment where I realized I'd been silent for eight years. I was living in purgatory mundane, that I value a life of being challenged, that I love a, I value a life of seeing how bad I am today doesn't dictate what I can become. And that today I can say, I want to be the best in the world at something Mm -hmm. and know it's possible if I commit to it. That's so powerful. No one can take that away from me. No one can dictate how I show up. That is all within me. And now it becomes an internal thing. It becomes, and that's why I call my book, Becoming a Hero of Your Own Life. Because for me, I have to show up for myself first every single day for me. And how am I going to do it? I have to know what my mission is. I have to know what my passion is. And I have to know what I'm trying to get to. And so as every day I started to realize, I'm petrified. But when I figure something out, I'm really proud of myself. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that became a very healthy act and habit to do so that I could start to change how I was showing up every day and the fact that I was seeking external validation as my North Star. So why did I stay as a stay-at-home wife? Because I was getting validation from it. Why didn't I speak up? Because my husband loved the fact that I was putting his clothes out and cleaning for him every day. I was getting pats on the back from my dad where he was like, see what a great wife you are. I taught you how to cook, right? I was getting accolades. I was getting the amazing validation from being this stay-at-home wife. And so when I recognize what a um, the velvet handcuffs they can be because they feel great, they feel comfortable, but they're mm-hmm. still damn handcuffs. For sure. How do you break out of it? Start developing internal validation. And that started to mean 
I, I had to lean into what are the things that make me proud of me. That's beautiful. I love hearing these grassroots sort of stories because I think it's so easy for people from the outside looking in to be like, they have this massive business, this success, this luxury, but they don't realize the failures, the challenges and the hardship and everything it takes to get there. And like really seeing the behind the scenes, like, I think it's so crazy. Okay. You have a protein bar, but there were like 1500 other protein bars on the market. Like, right. For you guys to be like, we're going to be the ones that stand out. We're going to be the ones that like, you know, crush all the others. Like that's wild. It's so wild to me. Yeah. And the fun, I, I love that. I'm so glad you brought that up actually, because here's the thing. When we told people, yeah, so this tech company that my husband's been trying to build for the last eight years so we can make movies. No, we're, we're walking away. We're selling it. We're putting up our house up for collateral. The business partners are doing the same. Like we're going in and, okay, so what are you doing? We're going to make protein bars. I love it. I'm sorry. Like, first of all, you're going to actually go into manufacturing, which I don't know if you know much about manufacturing, which we didn't, the naivety of the beginner let's face it sometimes can be very powerful for sure we we thought originally we'll just we'll white label it we'll get someone else to make it for us not realizing there's a reason why that bar hadn't ever been made before because everybody had the idea it couldn't be made so as we're going okay we're going to make this bar that's shelf stable that doesn't have sugar that tastes amazing everyone's like first of all what the hell do you guys know about protein bars Mm -hmm. second of all there's 1500 bars on the market you guys have no experience how can you compete now, here's the message that I want people to hear. They are actually right. We don't have any experience in manufacturing. How the hell are we going to compete? What says in our history that we can successfully build a protein bar company? Nothing, mm-hmm. except for the fact that we believed in it. Right. Now, look, I'm not that person that's like, all you have to do is believe. No, no. Everyone can believe something. It's all about execution, period. You can believe till you're red in the face something. If you don't execute on it, it stays as a belief. So I don't want people to hear me just say, just believe and everything will come into fruition. But you have to believe to take that first step. Because when people were saying, who the hell do you guys think you are? What the hell do you guys know? If we didn't believe it, they had a point. They were right. So that's where then again, it comes in, no bullshit, what would it actually take to create a food company that would be shelf stable? And, you know, and so you start to just ask yourself the question. And then to your point, and I'm really glad you said this as well, is Tom and I, my husband and I started at least five other companies before Quest, at least five. We had a real estate agency company at one point. Um, we had a website design company at one point where I was doing website design. I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I just taught myself like we've just stumbled into things. Right. And the important thing is, is to ask yourself, does this align with my goal? Um, do, am I interested in putting the time and effort into getting good at it? And then knowing and being sober about when to pivot or when to quit. Right. Because some people will stay with things for years and years and years because they don't like the idea of quitting. But really, you should have just pivoted two years ago, right? Like after like month seven, where you're like, maybe this isn't going well, you <laughs> you may have wanted to pivot. Yep. Um, and so quitting does not make you a quitter. It makes you actually smart to know when the right time to pivot. 
Totally. And one of the actually, um, do you know who Nastia Lucan is? I don't. So she's a gold medalist one, on one of those, um, the gymnasts that do like the bars. Oh, and yeah. So okay. Very, very freaking intense. Yep. And so they start very young, like they're training. They start at like something like six years old or four years. It's crazy. And my husband was interviewing her and she said that when she was a kid, she would like on her hard days, right? When things aren't going well, when you're falling, when you're failing, when you can't get something right, she would just burst into tears and she would run to her mom and she would just be like, mom, like, I want to quit. I want to quit. And her mom said to her, look, I'll make a deal with you. You absolutely can quit, but you can only quit on days where you're going, where it's going well. Mm. And I love that. So that was the one rule that she had. She's like, so we agree. You can never quit on a hard day, but you absolutely can quit when things are going well. And what ended up happening, I bet is no surprise. She doesn't quit because on the good days, you're like, yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So that was one of those things that I heard probably five years ago now and stuck with me so, so like strong, like as part of me. as a way of really thinking through, is this the right time? Should I be pivoting? Should I be moving on? Or is it just, I don't like how this feels right now because it's hard. Right. That's powerful. I love that. I'm definitely going to be using that one for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. So at what point, and in in like the timeline with Quest, did, did you finally come to realize like, wow, this is bigger than what we ever thought or ever imagined. What did that look like? Well, my husband has the most audacious, grand (laughs) dreams and ambitions. So he would say, of course, like nothing less would have done. Um, But my truth is, is that I started as just like, if this is what's going to make my husband happy now, because he's been profoundly unhappy for eight years. Mm -hmm. So when I entered it, it wasn't even about how big the company was going to be or anything like that. It literally was what is going to make my husband feel fulfilled. Um, See, I didn't even say me though. That's how much my evolution has changed. So back then it wasn't about me. I had just almost like, oh, I'm the supportive wife. So sure, babe, of course, if this is what's going to make you happy. And so when I started to help out again, I started to help out, quote unquote, and I was telling myself it's because you're a good Greek wife. And then over time, mm-hmm. as I started to develop my skill set, as we, we grew at 57,000%. Crazy. Like that, but just, you know, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and just, that's like, basically that's zero to a billion dollar company in five years. That's how fast we grew. So now imagine little Lisa, who has zero experience, who was a stay-at-home wife for eight years, starts volunteering. We're growing so fast. And my volunteering, from my living room floor, grows rapidly into immediately, oh my God, now I'm shipping bars from our business partner's garage, then rapidly into, oh my God, I need my own room, facility to rent, to then ship from. Now, because my husband and his business partners were still trying to sell their tech company, everything ended up coming to me. So it was like, well, we need an employee, but they need a supervisor. Well, Lisa, you're free. Go supervise them. And so like, but I am incredibly insecure and very doubtful about my own abilities. I'd never been a boss before. So I literally, I'm freaking out. I'm like, you want me to supervise? What the hell is a supervisor? Like, I am just like in my own head. Yeah. Now, over time, as we started to grow, as we started to get bigger, as I started 
started to develop my own skills. I started to believe in myself more. I started to believe in what I was capable of. I started to see what I was capable of. I started to see what we as a team were capable of. And I started to see the results. So as you start to see it, it was, oh, I'm learning that everything um, you know, every challenge that I face, I can overcome. So it starts to build a belief system in you sure. so that when you start as a startup company, as a company that keeps growing, that becomes even bigger and even bigger, you don't find that overwhelming anymore because you've learned that you can adapt, because you've learned that a skill set, you're not born with a skill set, that you can cultivate a skill set, you can practice something. Yeah. And so as we started to get bigger, I started to realize the power of Quest. I started to realize the power of what it was doing, not just for the weight loss community, but now I started to personally get aligned with the bar and what we were doing because we were hearing from like the anorexic community, which I didn't expect. Mm. We had these people that started to reach out and say, thank you for allowing me to be um, comfortable with calories again. Wow. You know, so now imagine I'm start off, I'm just supporting my husband, whatever my husband needs and just doing this to make him happy. Oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing, but Lisa, you better figure it out. Otherwise you're going to lose your house. Lisa, you better figure it out because you're the only one here. Everyone else, you know, I literally was the only person there. So it's like, you have to figure it out. As I was figuring it out, I started to gain more competence in what I was doing. As I was gaining more competence in what I was doing, I was gaining more confidence in that area area as I was gaining more confidence in that area I started to ask myself do I really like do I love this is this my future and then I started to attach that to a mission which was helping the anorexic community and so that was my own personal journey and so as I started to grow evolve have my own mission have my own purpose the dream of how big this can be got bigger because I started to believe in myself and my capability. I started to believe of what was possible. I started to realize that no one's going to fight for your dream more than you will. So now when someone comes to me and says, hey, that's not possible, I just laugh because I'm like, well, that's your belief system and that's why you are where you are. But you better believe I'm not going to adopt that idea. I'm not going to adopt, even if it's not possible, I need to adopt the idea of what if it was possible? What would that actually look like? And now it puts me into planning mode, into creating a blueprint, create a, you know, a plan so that you can take those steps forwards and assess it. Otherwise you don't know, or you may just be too fearful to try something. So in all of that, the dream, the big, like, did we know Quest was going to be as big as it was? I started to believe in it. Me, I personally, as I started to believe more in myself, Mm. because when people were coming to me saying, hey, this true story, very early on, we had an opportunity to potentially get protein bars to Justin Bieber in Dubai. And this was very, very early on in our, um, in our, company and so that would have been like a game changer and so I'm freaking out oh my god we've got an opportunity I call up our UPS rep and they're like there's no way you're going to be able to get a food product to Dubai within 48 hours it's impossible that in that moment I'd started to adopt the idea that everything is on me that I need to show up I need to learn no one's going to fight for your dream more than you will and so I just I just didn't accept it now he's the professional he's the one with the title I have no idea about shipping right what did I do I just said I his idea, the way that he thinks doesn't serve my goal. It totally. doesn't serve what I'm trying to do. So what would? 
figuring it out. So what does that look like? And so I've created a plan. That looks like reading, Lisa, immigration rules. Reading all the paperwork that has to come that you may have to fill out. It has to, um, why food? Like, why is the food the thing that actually is going to be the thing that's going to hold up in immigration? What right. can I do differently? I called the UPS people in Dubai and I literally told them to speak to the managers in, in Los Angeles, like the, the rep managers, so that they could start commuting. Like, literally, I just got myself involved. Right. Now, at the time, it's not like I know it was going to work. Right. But I just said, I'm not going to adopt other people's belief systems. If I believe I can't, you better believe I'm not going to make it. I'm not even going to try. But mm-hmm. if I believe I can, you better believe I'm going to try and at least make a find a way to make it possible. So did you end up getting the bar suggestion? I did. <laughs> so the amazing thing, well, the amazing and horrifying thing all at the same time is I ended up getting the bars within 48 hours to Dubai, but wow. I never got a damn photo. Oh, that was the hope. That was like, if we just got a photo with him and the bar and it was his cousin. So it was his cousin that loved us. He said, if you get the bars to Dubai, I will try and get a picture with him and the bars. And basically he was going to get free bars as our thank you. Right. So, but, so I got confirmation that they made it to Justin Bieber's hotel room. And I never got my damn photo. So in the book, I even say, Beeps, if you're listening, homie, I want that photo. Even though I don't own the company anymore. Oh, I mean, I doubt he's listening to the Wellness Switch podcast. If he is, that would be amazing. Shame on him, Beeps. Shame on him. There's so much he can learn about women by tuning into this. So awesome. That, That is so, that's a great story. So I'm so curious to know, like, what has money taught you about yourself? Oh, that money does not buy happiness. It's mm. the most amazing thing. Like it's, and when I say it's amazing is it happened at a time. Um, and so if you don't mind, actually, if I can share a story. Of course. That was literally, it was a pivotal moment of the way that I think and really how I show up every day now. So it was Quest. We've just been announced as a billion dollar company. Um, but even when on paper, you're announced as the, it's not like you have the money in your account. Like, so right. on paper, we're, we're a billion dollar company now. We're s- still driving that Ford Focus with the hole in, in, the, in the exhaust where the steering wheel is shaking. And so on days where the company's doing very well, but it's a struggle, right? It's hard. It's challenging. You're working weekends. You're working on Sundays on like Easter Sunday. You right. know, while other people are having barbecues, you're in the warehouse in a hair net, hand making protein bars, trying to figure out any recipe, right? Like that's, it's just, that's the life. And so in those moments, how do you keep so motivated? Like that is so imperative. But what are the tools you're going to use that you know in moments of where you don't love your life that you're going to keep going? So me and my husband would drive around Beverly Hills and we would dream like one day when we have the money and, you know, once we sell Quest and, you know, um, we're going to buy this house or this type of house to the point where we really embody it. And so flash forward, you know, Quest is the billion dollar company. We finally sell a small portion of it and we finally actually can get the dream house in Beverly Hills. Like mm-hmm. it's one of these like things where like it's actually coming true. Now yeah. I'm a very visual person and I'm a very like memories and experiences to me are the most important things. So I couldn't emotionally attach to um, 
to something like a house. I needed to emotionally attach to a memory. And so what I would joke with my husband is when we buy the mansion, babe, we're going to buy a mansion with a waterfall because I'm a 90s chick. So I want to do one of those hip hop videos where I twerk <laughs> under a waterfall and I want to pour Dom Perignon all over my body. And that's the dream. <laughs> Because I can get excited about that. I can like legitimately be like, oh man, that would be so awesome. But like a house is so like, I don't know. I couldn't get excited in that way. Right. So this was the dream. And so you cut, you know, flash forward, we get the Beverly Hills house. We get the house with the waterfall and Mm. I've got a bottle of Dom Perignon (laughs) in my hand. It is like, you couldn't have written it better. Yeah. And so here I am thinking the dreams come true. I take a swig of the champagne and like that, my gut felt like it erupted. It's the only way I can explain it. Eruption is the right word. Now, I'll just quickly backtrack on, I realized after six years of having my gut erupt, six years, I'm still on my journey to get better. Right. I had SIBO, leaky gut. Because of all of that, I had parasite, candida. I mean, I I was just in a mess. Now, every day I was just making it worse and worse by having an unhealthy relationship with food. I was getting sick a lot. I was taking a lot of antibiotics. The antibiotics were wrecking my microbiome. And so what I didn't realize was in building quests and ignoring my self-care and ignoring all the signs where I would get gut issues, where I would eat something and be in gastral pain, like three days, I used to just brush it off. And I would say, that's just me. Lisa, you're a wuss. Lisa, you got to put it in hours. Lisa, you got to grind because I started to worry that my validation was tied to my work and my worth was tied to what I was, how many hours I put in. And so I was just ignoring my body. And just like anything, eventually it will just, you know, pull the ripcord. And that's exactly what it did. I ignored my body for years and years and years as we were grinding with Quest. I had a bad relationship with food. I was taking antibiotics and it came to a head. And that head happened to have been on the one day I was celebrating the dream come true. Now, like I said, it is the most perfect, best timing I could ever wish for. Because you better believe in that one moment, I was like, oh, money doesn't buy happiness. <laughs> right. Let me take care of myself. Yeah. And so on day one of having the wealth, if you will, was the day that I learned money doesn't buy happiness. And what do I care? This was actually true. Like, what do I care about being in this beautiful house when I can't stand up? for longer than five minutes at a time because I'm in that much pain. Right. So it was a beautiful lesson. And I will also emphasize that, I think I said this earlier where words matter. I very purposely say it was the most beautiful thing to happen to me. Why? Because it can either scar me and I'll never heal from it. Right. Or I can use it as a powerful tool to be the person that I want to be, to show up um, and work hard, to be very graceful, to be humble, to be giving, to be um, supportive to other people. Like it taught me all of that. And so I remind myself of that instead of reminding myself of the pain and the suffering 
and the um, hormonal imbalance and the mood swings and the um, ups and downs of my relationship because I was always, you know, upset and sad because I couldn't eat. I was 20 pounds lighter than I was than I am now. My hair was falling out and my nails were so brittle because I could only eat four ingredients for over a year. Wow. I could eat beef, coconut oil, salt and lamb and chicken. Sorry, don't know how many that was. But so now imagine in moments like that, you better believe you ground yourself into what is important. Who do you want to be? And then how am I going to take this memory with me to be powerful? Because I do think we all choose. um, We just we choose how we remember things. And I'm so aware of that, that in real time, when bad things happen to me, I actually in real time say, how do I want to remember this? Mm-hmm. And when I say it is such a powerful tool, it takes time, guys. I don't want people to think you can just do of that course. overnight. Of course. Um, but it's a very powerful tool to um, and skill to cultivate because it can literally change your life of how you see things, how you see yourself, how you show up every day, and then what scars you maybe hold on to. For sure. So did that day, on that day, did that really begin sort of your healing journey specifically yeah. with your health and your gut exactly that um it started my healing journey it reoriented me to what was important in life and you know obviously it's very cliche now but put your oxygen mask on before you help anyone else right. i have i've made myself multiple commitments when when my gut really did fall apart because it was so hard for 3 years i couldn't eat anything like even sweet so like on my birthday, on Christmas, I'm literally sitting there eating a hard boiled egg, mm-hmm. a strip of bacon. Like that was as my time would go on and I could eat a few more items. Right. So for over three years, I'm having birthdays, Christmases, all these things without having treats. Right. It's okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so for so long, I wasn't, be able, I wasn't able to have all of these treats and these sweets. I'm sorry, I've forgotten the question. Oh, I was just saying that began your healing journey. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so in that moment, as I was really sick, I took ownership and responsibility for it. And that was powerful because I said, Lisa, you're looking outside yourself for other people to fix you, for other people to save you. Right? I was going to the doctors, give me a pill, tell me what diet to eat. And yet the truth was, I wasn't actually pausing, listening to my body. I wasn't asking myself what I needed. I wasn't giving myself rest. Right. I wasn't looking at how important sleep was. Like I wasn't doing any of that. And so I realized that I was looking for other people to fix me. And yet at the same time, I need to be willing to step up and fix myself. Mm-hmm. And that became a big catalyst as well of saying, oh, I actually did this to myself. Now, look, I don't want people to feel blame or shame. It was very important for me to take ownership, though. I was the one that swallowed the antibiotics, right? The the doctors didn't force feed me them. When the doctor said to me, you know, I probably shouldn't give you this many antibiotics. Not once did I ask why. Not once did I do my own research. Not once did I I say, what is a microbiome? Not once did I say, you know, um, why should I not eat fat? Because that was my belief. Don't eat fat. Don't eat sugar. Don't eat carbs, Lisa. I never did my own research and that's all on me. Right. But I think the most beautiful thing is when you realize no one is coming to save you, then you can now actually start 
to save yourself. Mm-hmm. And everything I've spoken about in this um, interview all comes back down to that. Yeah. Are you willing to save yourself? Because homie, no one's coming to save you. And that was the most beautiful message for me to embody because that's when I started to take action. That's when I stopped to look at other people. I'm not saying don't ask for help, guys. Please don't take that message away. But it all starts with you. Mm-hmm. It all actually starts and ends with you. And that was when I then had to say, cool, I'm going to put self-care time in. What does that look like? Every Saturday, I switch my phone off all Saturday. And I've committed to it. I set a boundary and I draw. I don't work on Saturdays. Even when I had my book, I'm releasing my book. And I'm like, got like audacious goal. Like I want it to be number one. And yet I still switched off the Saturday before. Wow. Because I knew I made myself a promise back when I was sick. I would never do that to myself again. So kind of full circle going back to what's the best thing that I've ever learned um, was that health is the most important thing that you need to focus on. Otherwise, you cannot show up like a badass in your relationship. You can't show up as a badass in your business. You can't show up as an amazing mother, as an amazing friend. Like, who do you want to be? If you don't put yourself first, you're never going to be able to do any of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that. Like your your book is called Radical Confidence, but I think it's through all of that that you're also developing radical self responsibility as mm-hmm. well. You know, so thank oh, you yeah. so much. Thank you so so much for your time today. I love hearing your stories, and I know you dive deeper into all of it into your book, Radical Confidence, where all of our viewers can go and grab that. And you also have your amazing podcast as well, Women of Impact. So they can also tune in there. Thank you for being with us today and sharing your knowledge and your stories. I really appreciate you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'd just love to say if people do want, they can go to actually radicalconfidence.com. And if they purchase the book, there's a bunch of free um, downloadable stuff over there. I've got like coaching classes I'm giving away for free and things like that. So they can go over to radicalconfidence.com for some, um, some fun freebies. Amazing. Okay, great. We'll be sure to put that all in the show notes. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, homie. My pleasure. Thank you everyone for being with us today. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Lisa. And if there are friends and family that you think would benefit from tuning in, we would love it if you can share this episode with them. We would also love it if you can give us a rating over on Apple iTunes. It means so much. The ratings help us get more noticed and connect with more people globally, which is really important because we're here to inspire and make a change worldwide. And if you'd like to grab Lisa's book, head on over to RadicalConfidence.com. And like I said earlier, you can grab a whole bunch of freebies and goodies that she's got available for you there. And you can also connect with Lisa on Instagram at LisaBillU. Thanks again for being with us today. Have an amazing day. Chat with you all next week. Take care.